In a world where good news is hard to find, WAVA and One Heart DC present Good News for the City. We're here to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what His body, the church, is doing to spread this good news in the Washington, D.C. metro area, including Northern Virginia, Maryland, and D.C. As Jesus said in John 17, Father, that they may be one just as we are one. Welcome to Good News for the City. It's the gospel, the gospel that makes a way. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Good News from the City, the broadcast ministry partnership between WAVA Radio and One Heart D.C. Now, longtime listeners of this show will recognize that our typical co-host here, Dennis Williams, isn't joining us today. My name is Brian Bales, and I am the senior lead pastor of Christian Fellowship in Ashburn, Virginia. Dennis has taken some well-deserved time away and some breaks over this month of August, and so you just got me solo hosting. But even though the show is going to be a little bit different today, the focus is going to be the same. In fact, if you've been listening to the show for some period of time, you know that One of WAVA and One Heart DC's foundational pillars is unity. And we believe that through spirit-directed unity, the body of Christ can achieve more for the kingdom of God than they could do separately. And so unity across denominations, unity across generations, racial and ethnic diversities. uh, the, The community watches and observes something powerful and unseen in today's culture when they see this happen. And hopefully... It creates an impulse for them to explore their faith. So joining us today on One Heart uh, DC Good News for the City Radio is a pastor who recently released a video series called I'm Right, You're Wrong. And in it is calling for the church to work together in greater unity. And I am privileged to introduce today my friend and pastor of Reston Bible Church and in many ways pastor to so many pastors to us here in the Washington metro area. Uh, Pastor Mike Mentor. Pastor Mike, thanks for being on the show today. Well, it's good to be here, Brian. Look we forward to talking. It. Yeah, we were just talking off air how it feels like that you've been on several times, but uh, we've been friends now for uh, coming up on eight, eight and a half years, in fact, when I moved into the Washington metro area. You were the very first pastor I met, other than the people on staff at Christian Fellowship Church. I think I started on Monday and we met on Thursday, and ever since I've been privileged. Uh, to learn from you. And so I know you a lot. In fact, I thought you've been on the show more than you actually had. We were just talking about that uh, just because of all the times that we've talked. But maybe people who've been listening to Good News for the City don't know you as well. So I do want to take a moment to let them know a little bit about you. Uh, You were born into a Navy family. You know this, obviously, in Providence, Rhode Island in 1944. Uh, Pastor Mike's father was an admiral, and the family lived in Hawaii and had three different tours of duty at the Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland. Uh, Mike attended the Naval Academy and has a degree from Old Dominion University in political science. Uh, So while traveling, though, with a friend through Europe in 1970, Mike trusted the Lord Jesus Christ and his Savior through the friend's consistent witness. And with a growing desire to study and teach the scripture, Mike entered Florida Bible College in 1972, graduated in 74 with a degree in Bible. And it was at Florida Bible College that he met his wonderful wife, Kay. And in there, he was called to minister to start an evangelical work in Reston, Virginia. The first Bible study was held in the home of Charles Swift in 1974, and the first service of Reston Bible Church was held in the Reston Sheridan in March of 1975. Mike has been the one and only senior-slash-lead-slash-teaching pastor that they've had now there uh, for coming up on 45 years. Actually, at 45 years, uh, March was 1975, so we get to March of 2020. Mike and Kay, uh, they now... Uh, live just a little bit south. Are you technically still in Ashburn? Uh, there, I know you moved just a little bit away. We're in Aldi. 
in Aldi. So they still have four children, uh, Kelly, Megan, Katie, and David, and they have a growing brood of grandchildren. Uh, Mike, I feel like this is just you and me going to be sitting down today like we typically do in Wegmans and having a conversation. And a whole lot of people, I believe, are going to be listening today uh, right here on the radio or maybe later on on podcast. And they're going to be able to glean like I have for years from a lot of your wisdom and a lot of your insight. So I just kind of want to jump right in. Uh, there's usually always a, a moment or a catalyst or an inspiration behind anytime someone does anything. And certainly as pastors, when we do a sermon series or we do something like you've done called I'm Right, You're Wrong, there's an inspiration. So what was that inspiration, sort of the, the spark behind this idea of this series? Well, Brian, I've been watching uh, over these last um, 45 years at RBC and even a little bit before that when I came to the Lord, seeing uh, more and more divisiveness that has been taking place. And it comes from this idea of, well, I'm right and you're wrong. And I, I, it was birthed out of the idea that every single person that comes to Christ enters a swim lane, a theological swim lane, mm -hmm. whether it's the church you were raised in or what your parents taught you or who led you to the Lord or whether it was a InterVarsity Campus Crusade, whatever. And they're all good. They may all be preaching the gospel, but each swim lane winds up saying the other swim lanes are a little, little polluted and don't go over there. And so there's very little iron sharpening iron today. And I think what has really bothered me is that I think there was more unity when I first came here, but the internet has really caused serious problems. Lots of websites dedicated to protecting the flock. And if you disagree with me, you know, you're wrong. And all you have to do is push a button and it moves at 186,000 miles per second all over the place. And it's just causing more and more division. It's just broken my heart because I think if we don't, we don't really come together, the nation's never going to come together. Yeah, and I like that analogy of swim lane. I think everyone picks their swim lane because they feel comfortable, but it's really easy to forget that we're all swimming in the same pool many times yes. and, and just pick that lane. And especially, as you mentioned with the Internet, everyone's always had an opinion. That's not new. We can go back in church history. We see people like Martin Luther and Calvin and so many others and Augustine who had opinions. But now we have keyboards and a platform for whether or not your opinion is uh, based out of the corner of a little hovel uh, office or whether it's this huge platform in a business that you can get that out there. And, and many times you mentioned it's eroding this idea of unity. Now, Jesus had a lot to say about that. I know you've preached about John 17 before when he's in the upper room and, and he's at the end of his time on earth and he's talking. I'm about ready to go to the cross. And he spent some significant time talking about living from unity. Can you dive into that some of why it matters? Yeah, sure. It, when you think of some of the last words he's speaking have to be some of the most important words. And he's, uh, he's talking about his disciples and he, and he's talking about the whole idea of I and the father are one and I, and I want the body to be one. But then when you move into the epistles, you see the same thing with the apostle Paul. I mean, you see it in Philippians two, Ephesians four, there's this never ending call, even if it's just mild bickering between Yodia and Syntyche. You know, you're, you're yeah. still got things going on. And Paul is saying, you know, stop saying I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos. And he also challenges the church to, to, uh, to stop arguing over endless genealogies and words. Now, he doesn't clarify all that. And I'll admit, uh, I'm not here to say that you, let's all hold hands, throw doctrine out the window and sing Kumbaya. I, yeah. I, I hold strongly. Well, see, there'd be a lot of people argue right there from Mike that we shouldn't sing Kumbaya. We should sing It Only Takes a Spark or something like that, right? I mean, there would be a place of argument if we wanted to. <laughs> That's exactly right. 
And so, you know, the, uh, the idea is that there's a difference between unity and uniformity. Uh, being in the military, to some degree, raised in the military, mm-hmm. my father wore a uniform. And everybody in the Navy wore the same uniform. But uh, even though they, there was uniformity, there was unity in the ultimate mission, which is true of all the military services, and that is to protect our nation, that sort of thing. And some churches, they might raise their hands. Some churches might teach expositorily. Some churches might teach, you know, subjects topically. But our objective is to carry the gospel forward because this is what we've been called to do. And I think we're starting to lose sight of that. And we're just narrowly defining almost every single conceivable issue there is, including arguing over whether we should have a plastic pulpit or a wooden pulpit. Yeah. And well, uh, everyone knows you shouldn't have a pulpit at all. Isn't that what we're supposed to <laughs> that say? That is true. Yeah. Well, there you go. Well, I love that analogy you just used in the military, because especially here in the Washington metro area, so many of us have personal military experience or know people in the military that we understand that that each branch of the military has a unique culture in some ways, right? Uh, and at the same way, they have the same goal. In fact, the only time they're really ever at his throats is when the Army plays the Navy in football or when Absolutely. the Air Force plays the Army or whatever it might be. But they, they may look a little bit different, um, but they're not all uniformly the same. And I think that is a challenge because – um, one of the struggles that we have as people is to understand what unity looks like without putting everyone in this sort of cookie cutter uniform way. And in fact, I think Jesus made some points that that's one of the reasons why it could draw people to us, because if we're all the exact same person and then have unity, it's not really that hard or challenging. But instead, if we are different people, we like our different swim lanes, we have different personalities. Some of us like the, the Marine approach to uh, church. Yep. Some of us like the Air Force approach, and there are others who are out in the Coast Guard doing their own thing approach to church. <laughs> but, you know, having that sort of unity among that sort of diversity, that's, that's a challenge, right? And that's what draws the world. So for people listening, I think even when we use the term unity, Mike, people define it themselves differently, right? They do. So just for our conversation, for you, and when you're talking about unity, what does that look like in the church? Well, I, well, here's one right here. I think uh, I think it was how many years ago? Several years ago that you invited me to come and 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 speak, and I had you come over to RBC and speak. And I need to do and, that again at some point with this whole COVID nineteen thing. Yeah, about. and I would love to do that. And I've had Brett in, and he's had me in, and I think that alone demonstrates to our people that we're not in competition. Mm-hmm. And that is so often the big case today. And I think a lot of that also is is. Uh, done through the internet, who's got the biggest church, who's the fastest growing church, all that kind of stuff. And in reality, if, if, if the local uh, bodies themselves don't see the churches pulling together, doing things together, um, organizing things together, One Heart DC, all these types of things, if they don't see that, then the world's seeing the same thing. They're going, you're as divided as the Democrats and Republicans. Why should we join that team? Yeah. So though though your worship may look different than ours or how you do certain things here or there, but the ultimate goal that you and I both have in common, that both of our churches have in common, is let's get this message out of the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ to this area and to the world. That's what we're about. And I thought you brought some great points there. And you and I have talked about this before. And I don't want to seem like our, our listeners today are just, you know, listening into you and I talk about the things that we always talk about. But the things that we constantly talk about are issues in the church. And I think one of the greatest barriers, I'm going to talk about in a second, is actually pastors themselves. 
uh, and uh, them saying, this is my swim lane, every other swim lane is wrong, or being very, very concerned about, well, I have to make sure that everyone comes to my church, because if people don't come to my church, what are we going to do about this? Or what are we going to do about this? And, and, and the fear that comes in. And so I just want to get that out as a, as a pastor, who's a pastor, we have to make some confession that sometimes the biggest barriers to unity in the church are the people that Jesus has called to sort of under-shepherd his church. And that sort of reminder that you and I always go through that, actually, even though that you've been the lead pastor for 45 years at Reston Bible Church, and I've only been at CFC there in Ashburn for about eight years, it's actually not our church in the first place. It's Jesus' go. church, right, uh, in that way. What are some other barriers? You mentioned a few, worship style, um, you know, pastors, you know, sort of being territorial and concerned. What are some other things in your experience have you seen that really can hinder churches walking together in unity and then by definition hinder the gospel? I think uh, bias is certainly certainly one. I think of, um, uh, I have a, an expression, I wish I had said I could come up with it. If you're taught before you read, what you read is what you were taught. Mm. In other words, if you're taught that the church is a building, when you read in the Bible church, you're going to see a building. See? So, there is a certain bias that a person enters in after they've been trained for a while to think a particular way. So when they see a particular text, they see it automatically through that bias. They have trouble thinking, you know, gosh, maybe the guy in the swim lane next to me knows more about this text than I do or sees a different dimension of it. And so when we come in with, 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 this, um, with this bias, then we, then we have forced interpretations and those cause lots and lots of, of problems. And so I, I think bias is one of the big ones. And, of course, pride is the biggest one. Yeah. I've got the fastest-growing church. We, got the, we're, we're, we do this the best rather than, no, we don't. This is Christ's church, not mine. And let me listen and learn. I've talked to you many times. You, know, you often say, oh, Mike, you've taught me so much. Come on, Brian. You've taught me as much as I've taught you. I love to sit down with anybody and just simply say, what are you learning? How can you help me? And let's do this thing together. And there's some significant impact that we've talked about. And I think that people who are listening to this show today, they're, they're not without, if they're in a church, they, they know a lot of this sort of stuff. They, they've seen a lot of it. What do you think is one of the primary impacts that a lack of unity then has on the work that God has called the church to do? So this is our goal. Go out and be a witness to the world, but yet we're not unified. How do you, how do you think that affects that? Oh, well, it not, it, it, it not only affects the world that's watching, because I'm not even so sure they're watching that, that carefully anymore, but the people within the church are seeing it. Kids that are coming up to a youth group and wanting to know why there's so much arguing going on about everything. Uh, and then after a while, then they go off to college and they see even competition sometimes amongst the, the territorial issues of parachurch outfit. And then after a while, they say, man, I think I'll just join the other team. Uh, what, what's, what is this? The arguing, the, the fighting, all, all that. And I think when they, it's, it's the idea that a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. I don't see that all men are knowing that we're his disciples. So there is clearly that lack of, of unity is creating that atmosphere. And if you, if you go back and you look at Acts, even though Acts certainly has a lot of doctrine in it, the big thrust is that the gospel is going out just exploding, not arguing over other issues. It was the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, 
that was the big issue. And we're starting to lose that a little bit. Uh, again, I'm, I'm not saying throw everything out the window and just hold hands and pretend like there aren't moral issues and other issues, but the central issue has to be the gospel. We've got to, we've got to keep that at, at the core. Yeah, and as uh, we talk about this idea of spreading the gospel and how can we accelerate it, uh, how can we be more sensitive then, so to speak, in operating in unity? I think you've mentioned some already, you know, being humble, number one. Uh, Number two, I I think if I could put words in your mouth, what I hear you saying is, is that too often we get focused on important issues, but they are minor issues compared to the most important in the major issues of the gospel. Is is that what I hear you saying? Yes, I think one of the big problems is that uh, we, we talk about, you know, in major things, unity, and minor things, liberty, and all things love, but, but we're, we're not all going to agree on what is minor and what is major. That's a great that, that point. Is, but that is why dialogue is so key. We don't dialogue. What we do is we see somebody that we disagree with, send out a blog post, blasting the daylights out of them, rather than dialogue what did you mean by that when you said this mm. about the age of the earth or miraculous gifts or whatever once you start dialoguing you actually start learning something that you didn't know before and you wind up building upon that rather than tearing apart and that's what we're doing we're tearing things apart rather than building yeah, First Peter, uh, Peter writes a lot in First Peter to the church about how they should live and, and how they should respond. He talks about in chapter 2 that to live such proper lives among the unbeliever that they right. give God glory, right? And then First Peter chapter 3 says, always be prepared to give an answer for, for the hope that you have in you. So the assumption is, I think if I read that properly, is that, is that you're going to be living in such a way that people see that you're different, not weird, different. Right. You know, it's something that I, I say from time to time uh, at CFC. First uh, Peter 2 also says that we're aliens and strangers in this world. Oh, but man. that doesn't mean we're supposed to be alienating and strange. But that's for a different <laughs> time and a different conversation, right? But, you know, living in that unity helps accelerate it, I think, if we're more sensitive to operating in unity. And so a lot of this, as you just said, has just been the impetus for this I'm right, you're wrong series. So as you've been doing this now, uh, what kind of feedback have you been receiving, uh, not just from people at Reston Bible Church, but other pastors like myself or other people you may be integrating? Uh, some people may not know this. You leave a, uh, lead a small consortium group of pastors in the western Fairfax, eastern Loudoun uh, County's area, and so you interact with them a lot. Talk about that. Well, I've gotten some good feedback. I, I'm not going to say it's gone viral. Matter of fact, if I had to do it over again, I would, I would, I had, there are 10 parts to it, and when you look at it and you see it's a minute, an hour and 13 minutes long, I think it pulls some people away. But I got a, I, what's interesting is I got one from an atheist. He just mm. happened to be looking and he saw something about division. He goes, that's why I don't go to, that's why I don't want anything to do with God. And he winds up showing at our evening outdoor service the week that this was released. And now he's coming to church. Mm. I got a call from a Naval Academy friend of mine out on the West Coast that saw it. And he sent it out to his friends. I've gotten good feedback from the people that, that have, but one of the one of the key things that I've tried to bring out is this: if you take a dipstick and you put it in your oil pan in your car, it's a lot of times it might come up a couple of quarts short out of five quarts. Sure. If you were to go around and put a dipstick, a spiritual dipstick, in all the evangelical churches in America, there's not going to be a whole lot of difference. 
uh, whether or not one church runs thing, one thing this way or worships this way. And the reason that I say that is to borrow from the ad, I know a thing or two because I've seen a thing or two. Yeah, I've traveled enough to realize I just don't see a whole lot of difference in people that have differences in how they worship or whether it's expository or topical or whatever. Uh, I, I pretty much see across the board about the same number of people that are really following Christ and aren't, depending on no matter how big the church is. It's still going to be an individual thing. And people are going to be drawn to different churches. Some people love deep, robust teaching, as, as the Reform Camp loves to use the word robust, and they have great teaching. Somebody else might think, that's over my head. I need to go to a place that's a little bit more topical, a little bit more practical. And they go there, which is why God has scattered the church the way he has. You know, not, not everybody's going to fit in every single church, but you're going to grow differently in different places. And I, I just think that's an important thing to realize. There's not a whole lot of difference. It's a reminder, even in the surreal part for any of us who have children, right? Sometimes that we look, you have four kids, I have two kids. You look at them and you say, all right, they came out of the same DNA pool, but they exited on opposite ends, right? I'm amazed sometimes at how different my children are, but how much the same. And I think a lot of the same way that is with churches. Same DNA pool, same uh, purpose for the gospel, but we just take a little bit different exit out of the DNA pool. And that doesn't mean that we're not related. It doesn't mean that one of my kids is better than another kid. It just means they express a unique personality of how Jesus made them. And in the same way, churches express a unique personality about how Jesus made the church. Yeah. So, you know, uh, many people right now are like, okay, hey, I'm already going to this. I want to go to this. I do encourage you, if you want to see this series, uh, hear this series, you can go to www.restinbible.org, as well as we're going to post a link to the video on our website, goodnewsforthecity.com. But perhaps uh, right now um, there's a, a church or ministry leader listening live, or maybe someone in their church is going to hear this, and they're going to pass the podcast off to their pastor or minister leader and say, hey, you need to really listen to this Mike Mentor Pastor. He, he, he knows a thing or two because he's seen a thing or two. Uh, what are some practical things that you can give maybe in these last two minutes or so about how they can promote and operate in unity right where they are? I, I would start right off the bat with, um, with the whole subject matter of, it, of admitting you may not have all the facts. Mm. I, I say this. Don't be dogmatic where there is no dog. Mm. Uh, J.I. Packer recently passed away. I had the great privilege of meeting him about 42 years ago. And uh, I remember uh, him saying, I know I'm off in my theology. I just don't know where. I will never forget. I was having lunch with him when we were talking about this. And then I asked him, I said, Dr. Packer, do you believe that there is a church someplace in this world that God looks down and goes, that's what a church is to be like. And he said, absolutely. And I thought he was going to name some church. He goes, and it's probably meeting in a cave in Nepal, Mm -hmm. (laughs) meaning some little humble gathering. If the church can humble itself, the scriptures in several places say, when you humble yourself, you'll get wisdom. God resists the proud. He's going to give wisdom to uh, to the humble. If the church at large humbles itself, you're going to start seeing some real unity and you're going to start seeing the gospel go out and you're going to start seeing revival and you're going to start seeing this nation change. Well, uh, on behalf of so many of us uh, pastors who've had the chance to learn from you, uh, thank you for your humility. I just have to say that. I know you don't like it when I 
Uh, I blow smoke your way. You feel like that I'm blowing compliments your way. So I usually follow it up reminding people that you've been a pastor almost as long as I've been alive to sort of offset uh, uh, that, uh, that reality. But no, just thank you for that. Because again, you know, one of the truth is our world may never pick up a Bible, True. but they will watch and develop their opinions about the Jesus of the Bible based upon the people who are claiming to follow the Jesus of the Bible. Amen. Right. And, and so we as leaders, we as church pastors, we as the people who call uh, Jesus Christ our Savior and belong to his church have to live and dwell and act in unity. And so if you've been listening today, I just do deeply encourage you uh, to go to restinbible.org. That's R-E-S-T-O-N-B-I-B-L-E dot org. Uh, you can click on their blog post there and you can get connected to this video series. I'm right. You're wrong. And listen to that. Or you can, as we say all the time. Uh, go to our website, uh, goodnewsforthecity.com, and this will be posted there, and you can get the links to go to Rest in Bible, and many other things that you might need to help you as you grow in your walk and your faith and in your discipleship. So, uh, Pastor Mike, thanks for joining us today, and thank you for listening here to Good News for the City. It is our privilege, once again, to remind us over and over again that as we go and as we live, it is the gospel that makes a way. Thank you for joining us and listening to Good News for the City, a gospel partnership between WAVA and One Heart DC. This is a partnership, movement which celebrates and seeks to accelerate the move of the gospel into the Washington, D.C. metro area. It is our prayer that through this radio broadcast ministry of Good News for the City, we will see transformed lives and communities and more and more people responding to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to help bring unity to Bible-believing people and churches in order to multiply our impact in our city, and we would love for you to join us. You can learn more at goodnewsforthecity.com. That's goodnewsforthecity.com. Or you can go to wava.com keyword good news. Or you can call us at 703-807-2266. 703-807-2266. And remember, it's the gospel that makes a way.